Welcome to the Health and Wealth Power Hour, the podcast provides you with the knowledge and insights you need to achieve physical, mental, and financial well-being. I'm your host, Arlen Pickett, a business consultant who's passionate about helping people achieve a more balanced and healthier life. Each week, we'll deep dive into topics related to health and wealth, including retirement income planning, innovative healthcare solutions, alternative funded health plans, and specific actions individuals and business owners can take to gain control of their finances, have access to affordable quality health care, and achieve peace of mind. We'll also be joined by innovative experts who will share their knowledge and insights on prevalent topics. So, whether you're looking to grow your wealth or improve your health, you've come to the right place. Get ready to be informed, inspired, and empowered. Let's get started. Well, now, here we are again. It is time for another Why Does Healthcare Suck? I'll tell you what, it's been a lot of fun uh, really sharing some of the uh, reasons why we have such a difficult time in our country with healthcare. But I sure appreciate uh, those of you that are coming back every single month. Uh, We certainly had a great time last month talking about healthcare horror stories. It was a very insightful to hear uh, some of the folks that got up there to talk about their own stories uh, things that they had been through so it was uh it was really really good all right so let's go ahead and get started you know we are super super blessed today to have a subject like fee for service that is really that is the whole uh, united states healthcare. that is what it's all about and when you think of fee for service it, it typically is because of the way things are paid for the structure that is allows for providers and physicians to receive payment in this country is the fee-for-service model now what that looks like is typically where does that payment come from insurance companies government agencies or other third-party providers they're paying for the services that patients receive this is why interestingly enough All of your big insurance companies are called payers. But whose money is it? Well, it's not really their money, is it? It's really our money. It's those of us who have paid our premiums. It's our money. But they are considered the payers in this case. In fact, as I was going through and preparing for this, I could really only find one huge pro, as it were, when we're we're going to talk about the cons today. And we got someone great to do that. And I'll introduce them in just a moment. But we're, I can only find one big pro for fee-for-service. And that is if you were actually eliminating those exact entities, that middleman, whether it's the insurance companies, the government agencies, or those other third, third-party providers. If you got rid of those, fee-for-service worked pretty well. Why? Because now you're cash pay. Now you're paying on your own. Oh, wait. That's a free market principle. That's the same thing we're preaching already is free market principles. So fee-for-service does actually work if you're paying your own bill. If you have the the money, which, hey, that's a big deal today in in the healthcare arena, right? If you have the money, that means you can go wherever you want to. There's no limitations. If you can find someone that wants to see you, provide the services that you need or that you want, and they're willing to accept whatever you've agreed to, or you're willing to pay whatever they say they're going to charge, fee-for-service works great. The problem becomes when you start introducing the middleman. And talk about that and many other parts and cons and the overall effect that fee-for-service has had on this country's healthcare. We are extremely honored and blessed to have Dr. Clint Flanagan with us today. He is the founder and CEO of NextEra Healthcare and a huge proponent, obviously, of DPC model. He has spread that uh, word across the country and has a number of clinics in various different states. I was uh, very lucky to talk to him at the Hint Conference in San Diego earlier this year, where we started the conversation about what this would look like. And so, Dr. Flanagan, thank you so much for being with us to talk about this important subject today. Well, really appreciate it, uh, Harlan. Uh, looking forward to the discussion, and and uh, hopefully everyone will come away ha- having learned a bit more about uh, fee for service uh, healthcare, uh, or specifically fee for service primary care, 
Uh, I've got a lot of experience on that front as I've been familiar with it here in Colorado for over 20 years. So looking forward to discussion. And uh, I think, uh, you know, at a high level, it's about the doctor-patient relationship. And uh, unfortunately, despite spending over $4 trillion a year, uh, you know, there, there aren't a lot of Americans that have a excellent doctor-patient relationship. And, and that's, 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 uh, that's something that, you know, we need to fix. And so we're, we're on that pathway. And it's part of the reason we named our company Next Era Healthcare, because we were not satisfied with the existing fee-for-service uh, primary care system. So we said, hey, we need, to, we need to move to the next era. Yeah, and you know it, it is. It's interesting that you you put it that way. Uh, I know we've had these conversations. Some, and this is kind of a little bit controversial to say it this way, but so many people keep saying that, of course, our healthcare system is broken. And there are those of us who have really just kind of embraced the fact that it's not. It's not broken. It's actually working exactly the way that the people who designed it wanted it to work. And that's why so many entities out there are getting rich, and uh, the American public is going broke and having bankruptcies. And when you really look at the root cause of that, it's because of the nature of the way our system is built. And they equate the fact these days that, that you have health insurance, that you're protected from that, and that you have access to health care. And that is simply not true. It has been proven over and over that that is not the case. But some of the root cause of that is because of the structure, this fee-for-service structure that prevents you from getting the services that you may need. Like we see it all the time, right? In the news nowadays, you see these, these huge impact of denials. Uh, I was just reviewing this with my team yesterday that in uh, from 2022, from January 2022 until uh, July of this year, there's been a 64% increase in denials from Medicare Advantage plans and a 20% increase in denials from commercial health plans. Well, that is unacceptable for people that really need to have some stuff done. They're not just flippantly throwing those things out there. And on the other side, they're in many cases going against, and I won't say in many cases, almost every case, they're going against the recommended procedures or treatment or whatever that has been given by the physician. So as we kind of go and, and unbundle this some more, plant, talk about the inherent issues of fee-for-service. And I, I know why you created NextEra is, is to fight that. But talk about your personal experience and what you've seen and what really pushed you to, to change the game. Yeah, yeah, kind of a, a lot to uh, unwrap there, uh, as you said, Medicare Advantage. So I don't even want to go down that rabbit hole too much, but uh, us doctors kind of behind the scenes, we we, uh, we kind of uh, call it Medicare disadvantage. Uh, so that's a whole nother podcast. But but as we think about um, primary care uh, and and then particularly fee-for-service primary care, you know, uh, as, as uh, physicians, we, we, we go through uh, years of training in medical school, and then you, you go, for, go through at least another three to four years of residency after medical school. Um, uh, so you're, you know, seven to eight years into training uh, to become a physician. And uh, I recall back in my last year of residency training, I think I had about two weeks of business <laughs> two weeks of the business of medicine, you know, and, and so then you're, uh, you, you come out of residency and you're just excited to take care of people. Uh, and, and in my case, I joined a multi-specialty group of about 50 doctors where, where there it was a private physician owned group where everybody was partners. Uh, and, and very early on, you start to figure out that the way you get paid is through billing and coding uh, in this fee-for-service primary care system. And so every patient essentially is a transaction. And, and the way the revenue flows is by billing and coding and, and, the, uh, and, and stacking your clinic day uh, to the point where you're seeing, let's say, 25 to 35 patients per day. And I did that for a number of years. Uh, and, and, um, and gosh, it's, it's really hard to have the time and sit down and have a, a conversation with patients 
about everything from diabetes to high blood pressure to mental health issues when you've got 15 minutes, right? Uh, and then with that, you've got a bill and code for that procedure. So this is back in the early 2000s or so. And, and, and moving forward, you know, we kind of had hoped that the Affordable Care Act would create uh, a better lane for primary care in this country. And, and uh, unfortunately, in, in the, while it may have had good intentions initially, I think in the fourth quarter, you, you saw the insurance lobby come in and really change things up. And, 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 and to give you an idea of how it benefited the insurance company, you just have insurance companies, you just have to go back and look at the stock prices uh, pre-Affordable Care Act and then follow that out until 2023. You'll see what I'm talking about. And, and so what it did, it created uh, uh, essentially higher and higher insurance premiums and and more and more people on deductible plans and these people on deductible plans the plan maybe gives them one visit a year with their doctor right so it's not really care and and i and 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 so you know how did fee for service get started i think it got started in the 1930s and it was blue cross blue shield that kind of came into play and said we're going to start paying doctors on a fee for service basis and so decades of fee for service let's say and then you got into the 80s with hmos and, and more and more fee-for-service. And, and what we know in general, what happens with fee-for-service primary care is it leads to over-utilization of services, it leads to unnecessary procedures, and it leads to increased costs. And, and with all that, there's limited focus on patient outcomes and limited focus on quality of care. In fact, it, it, there's, there's discussion on how it may even discourage preventative care and coordination among healthcare uh, clinicians. So, so think about that, like it's, it's essentially like a disease state system where, you know, it, it's not about, gosh, how healthy can we get you? It's about, uh, hey, we can make a lot of profit off more and more procedures, some of them maybe aren't even necessary, and sickness. And, and truthfully, a lot of us physicians went into actually uh, healthcare and all this training to take care of people and to try and get them healthier, to try and really make an impact on their quality of life, right? Uh, and so, so uh, you know, back to coming out of residency, you know, you're, you're, you're a greenhorn and you just really want to take care of people. And then what you find is you find that these things are getting in the way of that. So, so it was, a, it was, it was a definitely um you know, a bit of trial by fire coming out of residency, I'd say. Uh, and and over time, you know, it, it unfortunately in the fee-for-service primary care world, it's kind of like death by a thousand cuts, right? Uh, and, and you have this continual moral injury that happens daily as a clinician because uh, you see these things getting in the way of the doctor-patient relationship. Uh, and it is morally, ethically, and perhaps even arguably legally uh, just, just challenging on a daily basis, right? And then you have these people coming in with a third-party payer system, and the majority of people have no clue what their insurance coverage is paying for or not paying for. They come in and they think that that insurance card is gonna provide them care. And, and to be crystal clear, that insurance card is not care. Uh, in fact, I, I don't even like to call it health insurance. It's insurance. Uh, they're not in the business of health. Right. Uh, and so you've got to find yourself a position in a healthcare team uh, that you can have access to that's convenient and affordable where you feel connected. And um, as I look at the chasm that has uh, been created between uh, physicians and primary care and patients, uh, it's only gotten wider and wider in my 20 some years of being a, a family medicine physician. Um, and, and part of that, uh, uh, as you may know, Harlan, uh, but I'm not sure if all the listeners know is that, so I did about 15 years of emergency medicine here in Colorado as well, working in rural, uh, ER, um, uh, uh, ER emergency rooms. And, and boy, that really gave me a, a lens on some of the challenges in this country because many people were coming into the ER to see me for issues that their primary care clinician should be taken care of. And most of these people didn't have access to their primary care doctor or a clinician. So, so that really, you know, helped turn the light bulb on of saying, how can we do better for patients? How can we do better for physicians? How can we do better for our communities? Uh, and, and after years of being in that fee-for-service insurance-based primary care system, uh, uh, we, we said, gosh, let's, let's just make it simple. Let's move to 
not using your insurance to try and pay for low-cost primary care, right? Like you'll hear us physicians in direct primary care talk about like, you know, using your insurance to pay for low-cost primary care would be, you know, the equivalent of using your auto insurance to pay for gas or pay for an oil change or pay for your windshield wipers, right? Like you would not do that. So let's stop doing that. Uh, and you have choices. So you have choices in 2023 as an American, and, and you do not have to continue to choose and or pay for uh, that high dollar insurance card that unfortunately just creates a barrier between you and your doctor. You mentioned earlier about denials, like denials are a profitable thing for insurance companies. And, yes. and when, I, when I order something, I don't, I don't have to move through that detail uh, of, of having to get a prior authorization for an MRI for a patient that I know needs an MRI. You know, I don't have to waste my nurses and medical assistants time, uh, um, you know, spending a half hour on the phone with an insurance company trying to talk to a person about getting a prior authorization approval for an MRI. Right. That's just a waste of time. Uh, and and uh, unfortunately, millions of Americans are still in that pathway. Right. Because they're they and or their employer have a benefit uh, plan. And it's arguably it's questionable if, if it's even a benefit. Right. Where, where uh, you know, they've got these uh, challenges or hurdles in between care uh, and appropriate procedures or appropriate imaging or appropriate labs. Yeah, and, you know, you, you kind of touched on it there. The, the barriers are very real because of all the referrals that you have to go through. But let, let's say that you have one of those awesome, and, you know, hey, just ask somebody who has one. A PPO is awesome, Pat, because I can go wherever I want to, and I get this great discount on this PPO. <laughs> I, I love that. I love when people tell me they have a discount from their PPO because the first thing I want to know is, well, how much of a discount do you get? Oh, at least 50%. Okay. Well, what was the starting price? 50% off of what? No one can answer that question. So how much of a discount is there if you don't know what the discount was to begin with? But when you, when you start seeing these barriers, the price and the accessibility are some of the, biggest parts that you know, I know you hear the same thing. And one of the big differences about working or people that are in your model and uh, your, the, your patients and your, all of your facilities, patients and their access to you is they don't have to wait weeks or months to see you. And that's a, that's a huge deal because that removes a huge barrier to healthcare. If I need to see a doctor, it's what you mentioned earlier. If I need to see a doctor, I, I want to see a doctor now. If I'm not feeling well, I want to see a doctor now. And otherwise, what happens? I'm in, I end up in the emergency room, right? And boy, that bill's going to be fun to look at. But the people feel like they need care right now. And so they don't want to wait. But the worst part of it, we have a, a partnership with a group in San Antonio, Houston, and Austin that do a very interesting thing. They do exit interviews with people that will, will talk to them. And they, because it's membership-based, similar to your clinics, people can go in and have all their services at zero cost, and there's no bill later, there's, there's nothing else. So everything they have is that's done right there is zero. So they asked the question, if you wouldn't have come here today, where would you have went? The most startling number that I heard was that 27% said they wouldn't have went anywhere. They would not have sought care. That is astounding. They would have just said, hey, let's rub some dirt on it or let's just suck it up, buttercup, and hope that whatever this is goes away. They would have not sought care, Clint. That, that's not right, buddy. That's not right. Yeah, yeah, uh, I agree with you. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's sad. And it'd be one thing if we were just spending a few dollars for that let's say lack of service or level of service, right? But we're not, we're spending a lot of money for that. Uh, and I mean, we specifically employers and employees. And so if you look at, uh, this is per Aon, uh, in 2023, an employer on a plan is paying around 11,200 and some dollars for an employee. And the employee is paying around 2,600, to $2,700. So you add those two numbers up, it's about $13,900 is what an employer and employee is paying for a insurance premium. Um, and that went up about four to 5% from last year. Right. So 
you mentioned earlier that, you know, that could be, let's call it the, the Cadillac PPO plan that offers fee-for-service primary care, right? And you as an employee want to go see a primary care clinician in that plan where you and your employer are paying a lot of money and you call uh, a network clinic and you find that it takes about 30 days to get in, right? Like it's not tomorrow, it's about 30 days on average across the country to get in. So you're paying all that money and you're, you're, uh, and that's probably for an established patient. If you're a new patient in Colorado trying to find a fee-for-service primary care doc on that plan, it may two or, take two or three months to establish. So you start January 1 paying that money, and you may not be able to get in until March or April to see a primary care clinician here in Colorado. And you get in and see him or her, right? And we like to joke, you spend more time in the lobby than you actually spend with the clinician. And you, you come in for that preventative checkup, let's say, and you want to discuss a number of things. But the doctor only has 15 minutes of time. So, so you only discuss maybe one or two things, and then you've got to come back. But the coming back is maybe another month or two. So, so realize you and your employer are paying thousands of dollars for that level of care. And I'm putting that in quotes, okay? Yeah, so, so, so that is fee-for-service primary care. And then the physician that's in that model, he bills and codes for that visit. And then he, he and or his system, they do not get paid for probably two to three months on the service that they provided. So if you think about it, just very simply as a business model, if you're getting your MBA or you're going to business school, you know, would you ever design a business like that where you do the work and maybe get paid two or three months from now and you have no clue what you're going to get paid? So there are just so many things wrong with the fee-for-service side. Uh, and you got to change it. You got to stop as an employer, as a CEO or CFO. You got to stop doing what you're doing on the status quo because it's likely the second highest cost on your uh, line items as a company. And you're paying all this money. You're really, you're getting, I call it wait in line care. Uh, you know, wait in line. Uh, and and it just, um, it, it's, it's, it's problematic on many levels. But if you think about it on the, chronic care side, right? These are patients with diabetes, high blood pressure, obesity, uh, mental health issues. Like those patients, need, ideally, we like to see them or engage with them five, six, seven, eight, nine times per year at least, right? Numerous touches, we call it, or engagements. And if you're on a deductible plan where your, 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 your uh, benefit plan is only uh, allowing for maybe one or two visits per year, like one preventive checkup per year, you're completely right, uh, Harlan, that, that the employee's out of pocket for those visits, and the employee now does not come in, does not seek care. And that then results in, uh, you know, for something as simple as a, a little upper respiratory infection that turns into a pneumonia or a urinary tract infection that turns into a pyelonephritis, right, does not seek care. So now it ends up in the urgent care or ER. And I said, if, if primary care worked well in this country, we would not have urgent cares. We would not have urgent cares. The reason urgent cares popped up is because you couldn't get in to see your doctor uh, or didn't have one. So, so yeah, it, uh, it, it's tremendously clear that fee-for-service primary care has been failing our country for decades. And COVID uh, actually pushed it a lot of clinics over the cliff. About one in five primary care clinics closed or sold out to huge entities like health systems, huge health systems or uh, entities uh, like Optum that just bought primary care docs, right? So, so I guess my point, if we're thinking about it, I anticipate there are probably a number of benefits advisor brokers on this call. Uh, you know, you really have to be uh, in tune with what type of primary care is it that you are pitching uh, to the employer group that you're trying to bring on. And if it's a Sigma network here in Colorado, or it's a, let's say a Buca fee-for-service plan, just know that there are other solutions out there that can provide better care and it's likely much more affordable to that employee. Uh, and, and I'll, you know, I'm, I'm calling that out directly, Harlan, because I see it time and time again. You know, we've been doing this now on the next air front for uh, close to 15 years. Uh, and, and I still see brokers here in Colorado where there's a very Cigna dominant say, you know what, we're trying to move them from a fee for service. I'm sorry, try, try, trying to move them from a fully insured Cigna plan uh, to a, a level-funded or to a self-funded plan. And then I ask them, uh, well, who's going to be the TPA? And they say Cigna. 
<laughs> you know, and I'm like, oh, oh, come on, guys. Like, you're, you're going you're gonna to move from them to a self-funded plan, and you're going to have Cigna as the primary care uh, network fronting that, right? So, so the point is, is you, you've got to uh, uh, look at solutions that are different and arguably better than status quo fee-for-service primary care. And that's a really good place to start. Uh, and then you can start to change other things in that health benefit home, uh, whether that's the pharmacy side, whether that's the, uh, you know, the inventory surgery centers that are owned by our physician friends where you can get direct pay rates for surgery, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so, yeah, so kind of got a little long-winded on that, but there are a lot of pieces there, Harlan, that are important uh, in, and it starts with primary care. That's where it starts because that doctor, that clinician can handle 90 plus percent of a person's needs and you got to get to him or her. No, absolutely. And that's a great point. I, I kind of want to go back because you, you are right. As I look down the list of the folks that are, are here, Clint, there is a lot of advisors here. And if you're here, that means that at least the thought has crossed your mind of changing the design of your plans because you've seen some of the inherent problems. Uh, I mean, I, I used to be just like you. I used to sell traditional health insurance because I didn't know any better. Uh, the good news is, is over time, uh, I started learning about these other options and seeing the difference that they make. So I want to go back to kind of what you said just a, a second ago, Clint, and that is by giving folks, by taking care of the primary care, you're taking care of about 90% of what's going on with that patient and you're dealing with chronic issues before they get more serious. If you're not using a model like this and you're using a traditional model, all of those costs, and then of course those increased costs later on because of hospitalizations and ER visits and all the other things, that is hurting your plan. That is cost that is coming directly out of your claims bucket. That is causing increases if you're fully insured. That is doing all the negative things to your group, to your employers, and to the employees because everyone's having an increased cost. Uh, let's say that the group decides, hey, we're not going to push anything off to our uh, employees this time. We're just going to accept it. Well, that means that people probably are not getting raises or else instead of increasing those costs, they're raising deductibles and they're putting even more barriers between the employees and healthcare. So all of these things can be changed by taking the small steps first, but Clint is 100% right. One of the easiest things to do to help your group move along in the right direction is to build your plan around direct primary care by having that, that place for folks to go and actually get the care that they deserve and building a relationship with the doctor again, it will change the dynamic of your plan dramatically. Uh, we are gonna start bringing people up to give their comments as well. I see we already have somebody that uh, would like to come up on stage. And so, Elena, we're going to have to go ahead and have you come up and see what your comments are. So come on up here and tell us what your thoughts are on what uh, we have to do. Don't forget to unmute yourself. Hello, you guys. Thank you so much, Harland and Clint, to allow me to come onto this platform. I have about 27 years working with the health industry as a fee-for-service, but not as an insurance provider, more of a billing the actual hospital. So I love the information that you guys are giving, and I can relate to a lot of, you know, those patients having to be put on hold because you have to get that special okay, and sometimes they don't get that okay. Doctors have to scramble to point A and B. So there's a lot of information that's coming. But my question is a little bit different coming from an entrepreneur business. I've worked billing a fee-for-service under the language access umbrella, which is a federal guideline. Um, so we offer like language assessments, translation, and interpreting training. And so those are all key services that several of our hospitals that we've had for a very long time, we do provide that fee-for-service kind of, of service for them. But I can relate to where um, 
Clint has said there's a weight in that billing, even if you're not working with the insurance side in actual hospitals. I mean, you know, we can't necessarily, when we send our invoices regularly, we cannot necessarily bank on when they're going to come in. So maybe uh, Clint can open some suggestions in that area. I know it's a little bit different, but I do, when I saw the fee for services, it attracted my attention. And I thought if I'm gonna ask this question, it's gonna be with someone with Clint who can answer that question for me as well. I, I appreciate your, your comments, Delana. And and, um, you know, maybe if we just completely simplify it, right? Like when your plumber comes over to your house, he bills you an invoice. So you could you could argue that that's a fee for service and you pay your plumber directly, right? Or, or uh, uh, you know, when, when you start to put a number of different middlemen or women in between that payment and receipt uh, of that payment to your business, that's where things become more challenging. Uh, in in our world of of medicine, th there are so many, let's say, people in the middle or admins in the middle that are getting in the way of that payment. So a the delivery of that payment, but b the the they're they're potentially taking a slice of that payment, right? Like you think about that in the PBM or the pharmacy industry, there's a lot of people taking a slice of that dollar. And so in your case, it sounds like you're billing the hospital directly for services that, that uh, you're providing. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm not sure if that is a la carte, like per service, or if that is capitated, let's say, you know, if, uh, a, a, a certain, you know, amount of money for this amount of services per month. Uh, it's, it, it uh, you know, regardless, this is if you just want to simplify, this is why people, you know, you think about the gym membership industry, like Planet Fitness or 24 hour fitness, right? You pay a fee uh, and for that fee, you can come into the gym as much as you want and they're not going to charge you extra. And you as the company know that you're going to get that fee or whether a person comes in or not. And then the person that utilizes that gym, you know, it, it's great for them because they have a fixed amount that they have to pay. So, you know, there, there are a couple of different ways to think about how you can get paid, whether you're a plumber, uh, whether you're a physician, uh, or whether, you know, you're in a service that you provide. Um, and in our case, what we said over time uh, is, gosh, we got to stop being paid per transaction. We can't treat patients like transactions. Let's just, let's choose a simple, affordable monthly fee, like and ship membership, and then give our members, we don't call them patients, unlimited access to us. Uh, whether they come in once a month or 10 times a month or whether we see them face to face or virtually it's the same fixed fee that allows for fixed revenue versus variable revenue. Uh, and so I'm not sure Elaine, if there's a way in your business to do something like that, or if it's even applicable, but I can tell you on the fee for service side for us, that's what we decided to do. Um, and, and it's been working out super well because we now, you know, have, have restored, let's say the doctor patient relationship uh, where our patients like what we do, our doctors like it uh, and employers like it. Well, thank you so much, Clint, because we do bill patient per patient. And, you know, being the CEO and running my show, it can be time consuming. Uh, get all of those invoices and all those results in. And, um, you know, we are changing in 2024 some of our business models. And we did think about, you know, suggesting a fixed price for all of our hospitals. That way they can receive one invoice every month versus receiving hundreds of them during the month. <laughs> so thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, there are, there are people, Elena, that have made millions of dollars in that RCM or revenue cycle management business. Uh, and uh, gosh, it's, uh, I don't know of a physician out there that says, boy, I, I just love doing fee-for-service primary care. It's the best thing for me, my business, and my patients. 20-some uh, years of doing uh, medicine in this country, I, I've never heard a physician say that. Uh, so, Well, definitely. That... We've been uh, involved in that process now uh, for over 20-something years. And, uh, you know, they kept me uh, up front in COVID. Um, you know, I'm, I'm open um, with all of our education services coming to a, a stop during COVID. The medical industry literally carried me uh, and let my services remain open and create a virtual platform for just the hospital language access uh, services. 
services that we offer. So I'm, you know, I have been trained from the trenches in the medical scene, work with many, many special providers out there. So Clint, thank you so much for allowing me to ask that question uh, and confirm that that's probably what we're going to do in 2024. So hopefully our providers will uh, send me a big smiley when I announce to them the changes coming uh, next year. <laughs> Sounds great. Sounds great. That's that's good to hear. That's that. Yeah, that's. I, I'm glad that you. I think there's too many people over and Clint. I like your input on this too. I think there's too many people in that fee for service world. It kind of what you said that have made so much money that just even the thought of it going away sends chills down their spines because of the. Yeah, it, maybe it's a it's a lot of work, but it's man that that can be a tough transition just like it is for doctors right i mean uh, the so many of them it's, it's got to be scary all of a sudden you got to step away and you're going to start your own practice and it kind of as you mentioned you had two weeks of business school right <laughs> and what what are you going to do so that's that's got to be some scary transitions buddy yeah yeah and um you know i appreciate you mentioned that a little bit earlier harlan uh, i appreciate what you said how you know you you used to do you know, your health benefit structure a bit different, right? You're probably paid, uh, I assume, uh, uh, from uh, a Buka, uh, Blue Cross United Cigna Anthem, like a lot of brokers are, right? Then, and, and there's yeah. a parallel there. There's a parallel with what we're doing in fee-for-service primary care. Because remember, I said, you know, I came out of residency, and that was kind of the system I was born in. I, I was born into that, right? I, I didn't create, you know, I didn't create it, uh, uh, but I was born into it. So you just start trudging along, wanting to do what's right. For patients and doctors and and then boy it sure it became pretty clear that i'm like we need to do something different and 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 uh, you know I, I think it's important to let people know that you've mentioned it a few times so direct primary care dpc which people may have heard of so dpc is a model of primary care created by physicians that were working in the fee-for-service primary care world and they say, gosh, we got to do better for our patients. We can't continue to do this. We have to have a different model of business. Uh, and so that model, wh what we called it back in the early days, Harlan, was we just called it monthly membership medicine because I didn't even know what direct primary care was. So we said, let's start doing that. Uh, and we did it right alongside our fee-for-service primary care practice. So we were a hybrid practice. I owned North Vista Medical Centers, which is fee-for-service primary care, and I also own NextEra Healthcare. Uh, and over time, boy, it, it, it sure worked out. And, and very, very, uh, uh, let's say a few years into it, I came across Dr. Garrison Bliss, and he was uh, the physician that coined the term direct primary care out in Seattle. And I'm like, boy, Dr. Garrison, what you're doing, you know, your monthly membership model is very similar to what we're doing. So uh, you're you're having some success, and we're going to start calling ourselves direct primary care. So so that's how that kind of, let's say, came to be. But but I just want the listeners to know that this model is designed by physicians who saw the problems of fee-for-service primary care and said, gosh, we can do better. We can do better for our patients. We can do better for our businesses. And many of us wanted to remain independent. We wanted to be have, you know, we wanted to own our own primary care clinics, right? We didn't want to work for large healthcare systems. Uh, so fast forward to today, fortunately, Harlan, that, that idea, you know, let's say, has really worked out. And you see direct primary care all across the country, thousands of doctors doing it, uh, many of them owning their own practices. And to your point, you know, owning your own business is not for everybody. Uh, and so uh, there are many DPC physicians or clinicians that are employed by DPC uh, practices. Uh, so that's kind of the cool thing, right? Like you can open up your own direct primary care practice and or if you, you don't quite have it, you know, not quite cut out to, own own a business uh you, you can be employed as a dpc physician so so that that is um uh, something that you know now in 2023 it's, it's kind of fun to look back and, and see this thing that we were just had an idea about uh really working out uh and and you know you take that to next steps uh you know a lot of dpc practices like ours take care of employer groups and we have the time to be excellent care navigators for those employees we understand the health benefit design uh, we understand uh, the, the setup. Maybe there's an HSA attached. Maybe there's a HRA attached. We understand who the uh, direct pay specialty docs are. Like up in Loveland, Colorado, we have Nadora, where we have members from NextEra that go up to Nadora and can have an elective procedure for zero dollar out of pocket. 
zero dollar out of pocket for a knee surgery or a back fusion, zero dollar out of pocket for a hysterectomy. Uh, because their employer directly pays for that procedure. It's a bundled rate, and they save so much money that the employee has $0 out of their pocket for that procedure. So, again, it's navigating or quarterbacking that care. And in the fee-for-service world, boy, when, when I was seeing 25 to 35 patients a day, you, you just don't have the time. And, and nor do you really even understand the, the plan that the employee comes in or the patient comes in with. So that's getting a little, you know, deeper into the details and the benefits of direct primary care. But but I think it's important to call it out because if you're a benefits advisor or broker and you're adding things uh, to that benefit plan, the question is who's going to navigate the patient to those things? Uh, and, and we would say, my gosh, you know, oftentimes patients trust their physician. So do they have a relationship with a primary care physician where they've got that trust and they can have that care navigation happen uh, and 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 have a team that understands what that health benefit plan looks like because every employer has a little bit different benefit plan. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's vitally important. It, it, it's funny. I get asked this question uh, all the time. I just got asked it earlier today. Uh, somebody said, Hey, why, why did, uh, why did we get a bill for $500 for this? I, I, I really thought that this was going to be covered at a much smaller copay. I said, well, where did you go? Well, where our doctor told us to go. Well, guess what? That doctor doesn't know if that patient's in your network or not. It's really up to you. And so in this case, that's exactly what happened. They actually sent them for a service that was actually more expensive. We were able to help them get that down uh, because the actual bill price was $11,000, but we were able to negotiate that down to 500, which is what it should have been to begin with. But the interesting thing is they were sent by the doctor to a place that was not in their network. And they didn't even ask the question because they just made the assumption that the doctor would know. How could they possibly know? That's just, just what you said, Clint, that all of the different plans out there and all of the different designs out there and all the different networks out there, how in the world could your physician possibly know who's in network? Uh, and they're in a more traditional setup. Uh, unfortunately, they're actually, once again, with your favorite kind of plan, plan uh, Medicare Advantage plan. So they're in a Medicare Advantage plan and you know, once again, it was to their disadvantage, as you mentioned earlier. All right, my new buddy, Timothy Poor. We just did a podcast together here uh, last week that will be released later on this month. But Timothy has a very interesting uh, job. He helps folks in their uh, in their their struggles after being hospitalized in many cases. So it'll be interesting to see what he has to say about this. So, Timothy, I'm going to bring you on upstage. Don't forget to mute yourself. And tell us what you got to say, buddy. So, so before um, I, I found myself in this role now, um, I, I was working with a physician's group though for, for, for a hot minute. And uh, this is back in probably about June of 2019. And we started developing a, a similar type of direct primary care model, but this was actually for employers. And, um, you know, and essentially it would be a membership plan for employers and they would pay per employee especially for small companies, and it would allow them to provide, you know, a, a, a decent type of like health coverage. And really what it is to do is, is it was designed to help assist um, families in, in, in making sure they come to work, right? <laughs> you know, so the first target was actually was our local hospital. Um, and, you know, and it, it is a 155 bed hospital, um, you know, and, and the you know, one of the issues that they had, though, was um, they, they had a lot of employees that were missing work due to, um, you know, you know, children at sick or something like that. And someone having to stay home or whatever it is, or they couldn't have um, they, they had a lot of sick call outs, essentially. And that, and that happens a lot with with health systems. But we said, well, we have like a, a membership fee and it's, you know, if your guys are OK with telehealth, we can sit there and say, hey, um, we can kind of do an examination and say, yeah, we can, you know, pick up the prescription at such and such place. They'll be ready for you and your and for your child or for you, and 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 just go on your way, so that the family doesn't have to like you know worry about getting a doctor's appointment or anything like that, scheduling that that sort of stuff. And we also worked with a lot of because it's Florida, a lot of construction companies, and saying, hey, um, we can help tell you whether or not it's actually cocktail flu or if it's actually something that's going on. And we ha we actually had a we had a few office I mean, a few groups that were signed up. Um, it was it was doing halfway well until about um, 
well, let's see, got rolling around January of 2020. <laughs> so I don't know what it is that possibly could have like, you know, made things a little more challenging for it, but um, it was actually picking up pretty decent momentum. Um, that was, it, it was, it was an interesting idea. I kind of want to see what your thoughts were on that. If you're seeing that in other sectors, because especially for um, health systems, um, because they, they do rely so much on labor, um, you know, like your CNAs and that sort of stuff. And typically, you know, if you think of a CNA, um, you know, they're, they're, they're struggling with a lot of things and healthcare for their, for families is, is, um, something that uh, obviously can be a bit of a challenge for them. Yeah, I really appreciate your comments, uh, Timothy. You kind of bring up a, a, brought up a number of things that um, got me to thinking. So, at, at we take care of, uh, as you look at the pie of who we take care of at NextEra, about 90% of our members come from employers. And some of these employers are small companies, HVAC companies, plumbers, electricians. Some of them are uh, larger municipalities, uh, larger school districts. Um, some of them are Fortune 500 companies, right? So it's kind of a spectrum of employer groups. Uh, and, and I'll tell you the common thread across those employer groups uh, prior to us uh, taking care of them is they were all in fee-for-service primary care and uh, they weren't satisfied with the amount of money they were spending, uh, both the employee and employer, and they also weren't happy with their care. Uh, and that led to, you know, a number of things. You kind of touched on a bit like absenteeism and presenteeism in the workplace, right? Uh, you know, you wake up in the morning, you have, your kid has pink eye, and so you, your kid doesn't go to school and you don't go to work and you got to go to an urgent care and or an ER, right? Like all these things that cascade when you are fronting a benefit plan with uh, insurance-based fee-for-service primary care. Uh, and so as a let's say CHRO or HR director or a CFO or CEO or the owner of the company, you know, it's really important to be in tune with what, what are you paying for and what are you getting? Uh, and your most valuable asset as an employer is your employee, right? And, and so uh, a lot of pieces, you've got me thinking about a number of different things with what, with, with your comments. And, and as, as I, look at the past number of years and and the impact that DPC can make for an employer group, uh, you know, those employees and their family members have same day access for urgent issues where they can get into their doctor or clinician same day, uh, either face-to-face -face or virtually. And, and on that virtual piece, it's important to call that out. This is not Teladoc. It's not Amwell. Uh, this is, this is virtual care with your doctor that you know and trust not a doc in a box that's three states away. Uh, and that's really important, right? Because if you're getting virtual care from somebody you don't know, that, that doesn't work out as well versus virtual care from your physician that can also have continuity with you and actually bring you back into the clinic, let's say tomorrow uh, or, or the next day. The other piece that we've done over years is we have both near-site and on-site clinics. And so for some of our employer groups, we, we actually have clinic on-site where that employee can come out of their cubicle, come see see their position and then head back into their cubicle. So now imagine the efficiencies of that, uh, especially if you're the COO or CFO of that company where the employee's getting care. And then remember that the employee gets that care and there's no cost per visit. So you don't have that financial barrier. Uh, there are a ver fair amount of virtual care companies out there doing, doing virtual care only where there's a cost per visit. Uh, in our case, uh, in, with DPCs across the country, there is no cost per visit. And I think it's important to call out, like that average direct primary care fee is around $70 to $80 per member per month. And if you think about what the average plan cost is, the premium per month, oftentimes that, that DPC fee is less than 10% of the total premium. But it's affecting the full spend, as Harlan has mentioned. So, you know, I don't know that I maybe answered your comments directly, but but you, you, your comments had just had me thinking about a number of different things. Uh, and, uh, and and so um, there, there are many different companies out there, especially with COVID, that are, are saying a variety of things, right? Uh, uh, on the virtual care front, they're trying to, you know, use AI. They're trying to, uh, you know, make pods where you can go to a mall and sit in a pod uh, and have AI and a virtual doctor see you and all that jazz. Like, 
Oh gosh, you know, good luck. Good luck with those things. You know, at the at the end of the day, you know, just make it simple. You got to have access to a primary care clinician that can handle most of your needs and do so in an affordable way. And if you do so, there's going to be all kinds of pretty cool things that happen. And as a patient, it's going to impact your morbidity and mortality, but it's also going to impact your spend. Like it's going to impact the amount of money coming, you know, that you spend for your lisinopril or your Crestor or your, uh, you know, physical therapy or your elective procedures. So, so make sure you get to that quarterback that can handle most things for you and do so in an affordable manner. Yeah. The, um, the other thing I just kind of want to mention, though, is also the, the community that, we're, that I'm currently in is in the, in the startup community. And one of the issues we've kind of faced, uh, as a lot of startups will face, is that provider of uh, health insurance uh, to, uh, to potential employees that you're trying to recruit or snag away from another company or, or whichever it may be. And, and often, um, you know, one of the roadblocks that, would, that I would face uh, early on was... Um, yeah, but I have a really great health insurance plan, um, you know, and, and I'll say like, you know, that's also an area that direct primary care can really jump in and, and make a make a huge impact, uh, I, I believe. Uh, it is addressing that sort of like that 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 transition point saying, hey, um, yeah, you may have a great you know plan, but can can, you know, uh, if you're if you're a startup and you can go to a go to a, a potential employee and say, yeah, you may have a great plan, but, you know, can your provider see you that day if your kid is you know is sick or whatever it may be uh, how much time are you going to have to take off work uh, and by the way can you just work from home you know still um and it's like sort of like areas that makes things um the, the, the agility of a direct primary care adds uh adds to a system is is um i, I think very beneficial yeah yeah i, I hear your comment there on uh, gosh, I think I have a really good health insurance plan. Uh, said hashtag nobody ever, right? Like, like let's peel yes. off the layers of the onion there, right? Like, you know, we, we, we joke about, you know, hashtag PPO gate. Like these people uh, and employers are spending, you know, earlier I mentioned $13,900 a year for a PPO plan where you can't see a doctor for a month or two. So they're, they're, they're almost in this, you know, Stockholm syndrome type lane where they're, they, 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 because they're paying so much, they think they're getting a lot. Or because their employer's paying so much, they think they're getting a lot. I would highly encourage you all to uh, go to Stacey Richter's Relentless Healthcare Value podcast and listen to Mark Cuban talk recently about PBMs. Like, it's a goldmine of information. Great, great, and yes. These people, are, these people are, they're, they're lulled, they, they are lulled into the fact that they think that this expensive insurance card is healthcare. And it's not. These things, these entities are, you know, multi-billion dollar businesses and the health systems around us, like the ones we have here in Colorado, they are financial institutions that are very profitable, that are very profitable. Okay, so go back to what I said earlier, and that is care doesn't happen out without clinicians. Uh, and, And who is your physician employed by? Is he employed by a big health system? If so, your costs are going to be higher. If are, how are you accessing that position? If you're using your deductible plan with Cigna or your United plan or your TPA is UMR or Cigna, you are paying more for that elective procedure than if we were to do it direct pay. And typically that is 30, 40, 50, 70% more. Okay. So Harlan kind of tuned into this a little bit earlier. People think, well, my gosh, if I use this card to get this procedure through my PPO plan, I'm going to pay less or I'm going to get a 50% discount. Well, it's a, it's a 30, 40% discount off a of 500% markup. So if you actually drill down, if we drill down to, well, what's the cost for that hysterectomy at the physician owned ambulatory surgery center for this elective procedure, where you pay for that bundled hysterectomy that includes all of the anesthesia facility fee and the surgeon, boy, that cost can be, you know, X, not three X through your PPO plan. And, and again, if you're a self-funded employer and your TPA is UMR or Cigna, you are going to pay more for those elective procedures, you as the employer. Um, and so, so I, I'm kind of getting into some fine detail there, but you got to be super sensitive to how are you getting that elective procedure. Most of the things that doctors write orders for happen outside of a hospital. Okay, Most of the things that we write orders for, meds, imaging, labs, elective procedures, so the question is, what is the direct cost of that? And that's the beauty of entities like 
the Free Market Medical Association, or uh, what Health Rosetta is doing, uh, and what Keith Smith pioneered down in Oklahoma, that you know direct pay rates. And then what is critical in that point is having that DPC physician healthcare team know where to send you for these things. Because oftentimes you may think, well, gosh, I'm going to get my medication through my uh, uh, my Optum or my Caremark or my Express Scripts because it's it's part of the formulary and part of the plan. That is costing you as the employer or you as the employee way too much money. Uh, so so be just you know be smart uh, as a, a consumer, whether you're the patient or and or whether you're the CFO, and you just can't continue to do things status quo. So 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 I, it got me off on a bit of a rant there, Tim. But part of that was because you said. Boy, uh, me, uh, I'm really excited, or uh, I'm really happy with this health insurance plan uh, that I have. <laughs> uh, let's peel off the layers of the onion there. How much does it cost? Is it that thirteen or fourteen thousand a year? And if you get with some of these savvy benefits advisors out there, like Josh Butler down in Amarillo, or Ben Connor and Harlan, and these benefits advisors that know how to put a good plan together, oftentimes the cost per employee per year is half of that $13,900, right? And you're getting an unbelievable amount of care. Uh, and and it's, it's, it's accessible, it's convenient, and it's affordable. And so, um, so, so, so uh, I really appreciate your comments, Tim. And boy, I could talk for about another hour on, on that kind of design <laughs> and benefits. Hey, hey, and Clint, I want to uh, hit on a couple of things, right? We're just about at time here, guys, but I want to uh, wrap this up with a, a couple of things, kind of go back. To, to what you, you said. The first of all, the people that really love their health insurance plan are the ones that typically don't have to pay anything for it because the employer pays for it and they've never had to use it. So those things can make your plan just awesome. It, can, it is a great plan whenever you've never had to use it. Or maybe you've been one of those lucky people that when you went through everything, it went like clockwork. That does happen sometimes. Doesn't happen very often, but it does happen sometimes. The other thing is you mentioned, uh, these that when you start dealing with big insurance companies and healthcare systems, and there's there's some lots of negatives there. Well, this is a cautionary thing. I know you've heard about this as well, Clint, uh, and that is the direct primary care name. The, that that model is not necessarily anybody's. So it has been used in various different ways. One of the newest things that has happened is some of these large hospital systems that are tagging that name onto some of their primary care services. And they are a model that is, is out there. So they're saying, hey, here we are, we're XYZ system, and we offer direct primary care. It is not gonna be much different than what you're getting already. They're still gonna be funneling people into their system. That is all part of the game that they're playing. So just a little bit of a cautionary tale out there. Be sure to understand uh, that not all direct primary care and <clears throat> name are created equal and that there are some really good ones out there. But here is what I have learned from my friends that are in this industry. If you ever question whether a direct primary care doctor is going to be, uh, you know, have the same aligned incentives as you and is a, a good person to work with, I promise you, Clint and a lot of the other ones that are out there in it, Dr. Jeffrey Gold, Dr. Roger Machigumbo here in San Antonio, and just tons of other ones that are out there, they're always willing to talk to you. They understand that it's going to take all of us to make this change. And they want to make sure that the folks that you're working with are going to give your clients the best service. So the best way to find out if a direct primary care doctor is a good direct primary care doctor is to ask one of these guys. And that comes directly from those doctors. When I've asked those before, even in large group settings, all of them say the same thing. Ask us. Somebody somewhere is going to know this person and know whether they're going to be a good fit for what you're looking to do. So that's, uh, that's kind of some of my parting advice on this. I highly recommend building plans around direct primary care, advanced primary care, those membership models. They do a couple of things. First of all, they provide much better care. And remember, anything that happens in those settings does not come out of your claim bucket. So you're saving your plan money. And of course, on, on top of that, you're providing, and this is the, actually the big key, 
you're providing much better access to health care for your employees and the other members and of course their families as well all right any uh, closing thoughts clint well, Harlan, I just uh, appreciate everything you're doing uh, and uh, appreciate uh, uh, the platform here today. And, you know, you, you see all these grass fires happening across the country, uh, groups of people getting together and, and doing the right thing for um, employer groups, uh, which re results in the right thing for the employees and, and uh, their communities. And, and boy, it's just tremendous. I wish I wish there were many grass fires, you know, a decade plus ago when we were down this pathway but you know these things take take some time you just keep turning the flywheel and and there are a lot of good people doing awesome things all across the country and you're one of them so really appreciate the platform and and uh and yes as harlan mentioned happy to be uh, a source for any of y'all out there feel free to reach out to us uh next era healthcare uh and um happy to have a chat uh and uh uh excited about you know the next five to ten years uh because we're, we're all we're all making a difference uh, and, and this is important stuff because it's people's lives, right? Uh, and it's employers, and those things are really important to us. Yeah, absolutely. It certainly is. certainly is. Once again, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing uh, your wisdom. Clint, I sure appreciate you taking time. I know it's a busy time for everyone. Uh, Timothy, thanks for coming up on stage. Alana, thank you so much for your comments earlier as well. And don't forget, folks, uh, this will... Uh, be available. The recording will be available later. If you didn't get to hear all of it or you want to share it, it will be out there uh, posted here uh, probably within the next two to three days. And then also, if you want to catch up with what's going on in our world and who knows who you'll hear next, be sure and listen into the Health and Wealth Power Hour. Uh, you can go out to hwpowerhour.com and check out all of the episodes. Appreciate everyone being here and we'll catch you next month. Everyone have a, a super blessed week and we'll catch you next time.